Well, I want to begin this uh, message here with just a little bit of a quiz for you. I want you to tell me which of these verses are not in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. God helps those who help themselves. Confession is good for the soul. Money is the root of all evil. And honesty is the best policy. So when you look over those, how many of those are in the Bible? Well, truth be told, none of them are in the Bible. They all sound really good. They're actually credited to Gandhi and Ben Franklin and and just over the years have sounded like they're from the Bible, but they're really not. And so the question is, is it important for us to know what's in God's Word? And obviously the answer to that question is yes. And that's why you'll always hear us encouraging you to read God's Word. Daily time in God's Word. So you know what His Word says. So you know what His plan for you is. And so you don't get fooled by the culture that might bend and twist God's word. And when we have messages here, we always center them completely on God's word. So let's start out with God's word here. This is in 2 Peter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. And then it tells us if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that an awesome verse for us to think of? It's a process, a process of characteristics that grow in us and through us so that we can have those characteristics and virtues that God wants us to have. This is the last week, the sixth week in this sermon series called Timeless. And what we're really looking at is some of those life lessons we can learn from the Old Testament characters so that we can learn their characteristics that they have and we can emulate those. And if you've been following along, we looked at faith and courage and integrity and obedience and humility And those are ways for us to step out of the comfort zone, the no-grow zone, the okay, life is good zone, and to step over and actually build a character zone in our life to where we're growing and becoming all that God wants us to be. And today we're going to take a look at one of those characteristics. We're going to get a character trace of godliness. Now, the dictionary would simply say that it's being devoutly religious or having piety But if we look biblically, that definition of godliness is a quality or practice of conforming to the laws and wishes of God, reflecting the nature of the kingdom of God in the course of everyday life. Now, don't get me wrong, that does not mean you are sinless, but it means you're growing more and more Christ-like, more godly in the way that you think and act. And quite frankly, you can be the the greatest parents or the most zealous volunteers at church or the most dynamic preacher or you might be a great neighbor, but none of that really matters if you don't have godliness as you're doing those things. But I want to ask you a question. When I say the name King David, what comes to mind? Just yell out a word or two. What comes to mind, King David? Shepherd? Bathsheba? Yeah, Saul. So 
what I think happens when we think of this stuff, what we think of is Goliath. That's that famous story, and it's fun. We think of Bathsheba, and not, well, fun, but not so fun. And then Uriah and the consequences that happened there. Uh, king Saul, and he's fleeing from him, and, and then his role as king. And, and he lived this roller coaster of life. But what I want us to do is I want us to look at David so we can glean the timeless characteristic of godliness. And I imagine most of you are going, what? You're going to talk about godliness and you're picking the murderer? You're picking the adulterer to do that? Well, you know, yes, because what happens is uh, David messed up a lot in his life. There's no question. And he also had some great victories in his life. And yet in both of those circumstances, he had humility. When he was victorious, he gave God all the glory. And when he messed up, he seeked and cried out for help. In Acts 13, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, and there it is, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Can you imagine if God's telling people about you personally, and he goes, oh yeah, he or she is a man or woman after my own heart. See, David is known as a man of God. He did what God wanted him to do, and God worked in and through him. He knew God's will, and that's one thing, but then he went out and he acted upon it. And that's the important piece. And David was chosen because of his heart. And, and I think it's an interesting story. So uh, the Israelites want a king. Saul becomes the king. God doesn't like Saul at this moment. He rejects him. And he tells Samuel, I want you to go. I want you to get a new king. And I want you to go to the house of Jesse. Bring all the sons forward. And so Jesse brings the oldest, then the second oldest, the third oldest, and they parade by. And God speaks through Samuel and goes, nope, not him, nope, not him, nope, not him, to all of them. And then they go, well, that's all we got. And Samuel goes, well, wait a minute, what about your youngest son? And they kind of laugh, come on, that's David, he's a shepherd boy, he's out in the field, certainly it can't be him, but God works in mysterious ways. In 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I am rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And David's heart was ripe to be used by God. And do you ever wonder why that is? I mean, what did God see in David? Well, a number of things. One, David demonstrated faith as he faced Goliath. Then again, we love the story. Laura told it so well, nine-foot giant. He's coming, he's mocking the Israelites, and, and, and he's telling them, hey, why should we just fight and wipe all you out? Just pick one guy. I'll beat him up. We win. We get all the prize because we do that. And, and the military soldiers, are they're shaking in their boots. They're not going to go fight this big giant. And along comes this little shepherd boy. Oh, I'll go, I'll go. Yeah, no armor. No, nothing but a sling to defend himself or to have offensive against the giant. And he goes and stands in front of this giant in full armor he has on, and David's just standing there with his slingshot. And we love the story. Let me read it again. It says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me in sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those that gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give all you into our hands. Could you have that kind of faith to stand up against a trained nine-foot giant warrior and know that God's going to accomplish what he's supposed to? So he has great faith, but how does he get that faith? Well, it comes from God's word. We know that David knew and valued God's word. That's where our faith always comes from, is God's word. Now, now David didn't go down to the local store and buy a nice leather-bound, gold-leaf Bible that he would only put on a shelf to look good so people will think he knows God's word. No, David knew and he valued God's word. As a matter of fact, he wrote 73 of the Psalms that we use for God to speak to us. Psalm 119, he wrote, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. So we got the right guy. He's sinless, right? He's perfect. There's nothing wrong with him. Not quite. We know the rest of the story, don't we? And it's a sad story in 2 Samuel. One evening, David got up from his bed. He walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, that should have been the end of this story, but it wasn't. David sent a messenger to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness, and then she went back home, and a woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Ouch, right? So what does he do? Well, kind of like us. We sin, and what do we do? Well, let's get a couple more sins in there so we can cover up the first sin. And so he sends Bathsheba's husband out to die in the battle. But see, he's got a good friend. He's got a guy named Nathan. And Nathan confronts him about it, talks to him, gives it a message to him to let him understand what he just did. Now, what do you think? Can David still be a man after God's own heart after he does these things? Yep, he sure can, and so can you. It's the law. It's the gospel. See, the law tells all of us that we sin. We sin because it's in our nature. But God forgives because it's in his nature comes through confession, and we read that David confessed his sinfulness. It took Nathan to help remind him of what he was doing was wrong, but once he did, he realized, I need to confess. And in 2 Samuel, we read that David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David's heart is broken. He did what he shouldn't have done, and he's trusting in the Lord. Psalm 51 is a great one for you to remember to go to when you're wrestling with guilt of sin. This is David. Listen, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place there. See if I can get that back up there. For I know the transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David had a broken heart, a contrite heart. 
And then this psalm continues on. I, I recite this next part often in the morning because I think it's a true heart asking God to use me. So in verse 10 of this, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, one of the interesting parts of David's story is found in the fact that David waited patiently for God. We saw that David got anointed as king, right? But wait a minute, not so fast. He was anointed or chosen by God, but that didn't make him the king right away. Uh, it signaled that God had chosen him, and it signaled that the Spirit was going to come on him. In 1 Samuel, we see that he took the horn, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And yet we got a problem, folks. Saul's already the king. Saul hates David. He wants to kill David. He's jealous of David. David's on the run. But one of the neat things is that David had pure opportunities that he could have killed this guy that's trying to kill him, but he didn't because he waited patiently for God's plan. Fifteen years, by the way, waited patiently. And then in second. Samuel, when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. He was 30 years old and became king, and he reigned for 40 years. So what have we learned about David right now? Well, he's a man of God. He's a man after God's own heart. We know that he failed many times but we know that he always turned back and received forgiveness from the Lord, that he loved God's word, that his heart was in the right direction. And he's a great role model for us to think of in our daily lives when we want godliness. So it's a great story, right? And we love the stories of David. But now what? How does this impact you when you walk out of here today? Well, the question is simply, how about you? If you were to ask 10 of the closest people in your life, I want you to take and give me 10 words that describe me. Would any of those people that know you use the word godliness? Hmm, that's a challenging question, isn't it? So let's look at David and compare you to David and see what areas you need to grow in. Number one, do you love the Lord with all your heart? Now, we love the fact that we got donuts again on Sunday and we love the fact that the Browns might win a few games this year, and we love when it's sunny outside. And then we take that word a little bit higher level when I say I love my wife or my kids or my grandkids or my country. But who do you really love? Where's your ultimate heart? Where does it go? Who do you owe it all to? Who do you serve? Well, we read in Mark that we should love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Everything you have should be directed in loving to God, and that happens as you love other people. One night on Broadway, uh, actress uh, Mary Martin, she's prepared to go on stage. She's done it a thousand times before. She's doing a Rogers Hammerstein South Pacific. And just as she's ready to walk on a stage, she's handed a note. She opens it up. Turns out it's from Oscar Hammerstein himself. He's on his deathbed. Here's what he writes to her. Dear Mary, a bell's not a bell until you ring it. 
A song's not a song until you sing it. Love in your heart is not put there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. And then she walked on stage. And when she came off the stage, the whole cast rushed her and said, what happened? We've never seen you perform like that. It was incredible. And she read the note. And she says, tonight, I gave my love away. Hmm. Sounds kind of like Jesus when he's talking to Peter. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then go feed my sheep. Think what he was saying to Peter is, Peter, you know the song, go sing it. Hey, hey, you got a bell? Go ring it. Hey, Peter, if you got love, you better go give it away. So how about you? Do you demonstrate your love for God as you treat other people with respect? Then number three, how about stepping out in faith? You know, faith is this confidence in, in things we hope for and assurance of what we don't see. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ even in those dark moments of your life? Even when you don't see to be able to see him, do you follow his lead? Do you step out? In other words, who or what is your Goliath? Who is it that's right in front of you? Or what is it that's right in front of you, and yet you're skirting around it, and you're afraid to step forward with the faith of God? Maybe it's an addiction that God wants you to have sobriety over. Or maybe it's that relationship that you know is really not God-pleasing. Maybe it's that person that God keeps nudging you, a 365 plus one that you haven't written on a piece of paper that God's nudging you to go and share the gospel with. What do you think? Is someday God going to speak to you these words? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Are you a person who truly asks and listens for God's will, his nudging in your life? Or do you say, Lord, I want to do your will. La, 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 la. Well, I didn't hear anything, so I'll do it my way. Yeah. Are you seeking God's will? And he has a plan for every person in this room. Ephesians 2.10 simply says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. And here it is to do good works. The works don't save us, but as saved Christians, we are called to do good works that God's prepared for us. Are you in sync with what those are? Number three, do you value God's word? Is it important? Is it in your life daily? Colossians 3 said, let the message of Christ, his word, let it dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit and singing to God and gratitude in your heart. Question is, have you ever been in a hurry? You got a coat with lots of buttons. You button them all and you're right around the door and you realize, whoops, I got a problem here. I got one button too much and not enough holes to put them in. And you go, well, what went wrong? Well, it's obvious what went wrong. The first one was not in sync. You didn't have the first button where it was supposed to be. And then everything in your, in your coat is unbuttoned and in the wrong place and out of sequence. We've all done it, right? It's the same in your life. You need God's word as that first button in your day, that first button so that everything else will fall into place and it won't be out of whack for the day. And God's word is so powerful. 
2 Timothy says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's from God. It's useful. Why? For teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every work. Sounds pretty important, doesn't it? And remember, Satan is the enemy. He wants to keep you away from God's Word or make you alter and taint God's Word because he knows God's Word's all-powerful, and it's our weapon Number four, do you confess and repent of your sins? This is difficult in our culture today. Do you have any Nathans in your life that can kind of hold you accountable? Because otherwise, it's tough. We learned from an early age on to rationalize. Well, it wasn't so bad. Well, I only did it once. Well, everybody else is doing it. It's just a small sin. I'm just bending God's law. I didn't break it. Got to be careful. God's word has a lot to say about that. 1 John 1 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. The law will condemn us. And then we can read the great gospel once we've reached that point of acknowledging our sin. And it simply says that if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just. He'll forgive your sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you do that? Do you do that daily? Lord, talk to me, speak to me. Let me know where I let you down. Things I I shouldn't have done. Things I should have done and I didn't do. Who did I hurt? How did I not glorify you? Number five, how's your patience? Uh Uh-oh, I bet I just got a whole bunch of you to turn me off. I don't want to listen to him on this one. And I admit, I struggle with this as well. I mean, we live in this instant gratification world. We got fast food, microwave ovens. We even got minute rice. What? We got 5G networks so we can have everything at our fingertips. And it works for a little while, but not so much when trouble comes our way. If you want a short verse that's powerful, Romans 12, 12, listen to this. Be joyful in hope. That's a whole sermon in itself. But listen, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. God wants you to come to him in prayer, especially when you're having a tough day. But remember, God will answer it in his perfect timing. Remember, for David, 15-year wait. Moses and the Israelites, a 40-year wait. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years. She was 90 when she had Isaac. Jacob waited 14 years for Rachel. Joseph waited 13 years in prison and out until he could finally make amends and save his brothers and his family. Noah waited 120 years. A prodigal father waited for his son to return. Ruth waited for Naomi. On and on and on. But here's the point. Every one of those situations worked out perfectly in God's timing. So how are you in that area of your life? Are you able to wait patiently? If not, the Holy Spirit, it is Pentecost today, the Holy Spirit comes and will give you love, joy, peace, and here it comes, patience in your life. So what makes a godly person? Well, a godly person is someone who loves and respects God and his word, who, who has dependence on God, who trusts in God, and steps out in faith. Now, one of my favorite sections of scripture is Philippians 4. A lot of great stuff in there. But if I ever want to get re-centered, here's the verse, and I think it'll be helpful for you. This is verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, 
whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You want to live godly lives? Then know God's word. Know what he wants you to do, and then step out in faith and accomplish God's will. A couple action steps for you. Maybe you're ready to say, I'm going to start reading God's word daily. I'm going to start tomorrow. I'm going to read 15 minutes every morning. Maybe you start with that verse I just read. I don't know. Maybe go in the New Testament and start reading the book of Matthew or somewhere. Secondly, are you ready to confess your sins and seek transformation? No more blame game. No more rationalizing. Blame means you're just being lame, and rationalizing is just rationalized. So don't do that. Own your sins and confess them, and then step out in faith as God nudges you. Face your Goliath. Lord, thank you. Thanks for your word, for your timeless characteristics and virtues that we get to learn from your Old Testament leaders. Fill us with faith, with courage, with integrity, with obedience and humility, as well as godliness. Help us to stay in your word and then to take action and accomplish your will in our lives. We pray it in your name. Amen.